Tiffany knew that Lanka blue cheeses were always a bit on the lively side, and sometimes had to be nailed down, but, well, she was highly skilled at cheese-making, even though she said it herself, and Horace was definitely a champion. The famous blue streaks that gave the variety its wonderful colour were really pretty, although Tiffany wasn't sure they should glow in the dark. She prodded the shadows with the end of the broom. There was a crack, and when she pulled the stick out again, two inches were missing from the end. Then there was a ptooey noise, and the missing piece of handle bounced off the wall on the other side of the room. No more milk for you, then, said Tiffany, straightening up, and she thought, He came to give me the horse back. The wintersmith did that. Um, that is quite impressive when you think about it. I mean, he's got to organise avalanches and gales and come up with new shapes for snowflakes and everything. But he spared a bit of time just to come and give me my necklace back. Um, and he just stood there. And then he just vanished. I mean, vanished even more. Um. She left Horace muttering under the sink and made tea for Miss Treason, who was back at her weaving. Then she quietly went up to her room. Tiffany's diary was three inches thick. Anagramma, another local trainee witch and one of her friends, more or less, said that she should really call it her Book of Shadows and write it on vellum using one of the special magical inks sold at Zack Zack Strong in the Arms Magical Emporium at popular prices. At least, prices that were popular with Zack Zack. Tiffany couldn't afford one. You could only trade witchcraft, you weren't supposed to sell it. Miss Treason didn't mind her selling cheeses, but even so, paper was expensive up here, and the wandering peddlers never had very much to sell. They usually had an ounce or two of green copperas, though, which could make a decent ink if you mixed it with crushed oak galls or green walnut shells. The diary was now as thick as a brick, with extra pages Tiffany had glued in. She'd worked out that she could make it last two more years, if she wrote small. On the leather cover she had, with a hot skewer, drawn the words, Feagles keep out. It had never worked. They looked upon that sort of thing as an invitation. She wrote parts of the diary in code these days. Reading didn't come naturally to the Chalk Hill Feagles, so surely they'd never get the hang of a code. She looked around carefully, in any case, and unlocked the huge padlock that secured a chain around the book. She turned to today's date, dipped her pen in the ink, and wrote, Met T asterisk. Yes, a snowflake would be a good code for the wintersmith. He just stood there, she thought, and he ran away because I screamed. Which was a good thing, obviously. Um, but I wish I hadn't screamed. She opened her hand. The image of the horse was still there, as white as chalk, but there was no pain at all. Tiffany gave a little shiver and pulled herself together. So, she had met the spirit of winter. She was a witch. It was the sort of thing that sometimes happened. He'd politely given her back what was hers, and then he'd gone. There was no call to get soppy about it. There were things to do. Then she wrote, LTR from R. She very carefully opened the letter from Roland, which was easy because slug slime isn't much of a glue. With any luck, she could even reuse the envelope. She hunched over the letter so that no one could read it over her shoulder. Finally, she said, Miss Treason, will you get out of my face, please? I need to use my eyeballs privately. There was a pause and then a mutter from downstairs, and the tickling behind her eyes went away. It was always good to get a letter from Roland. 
Yes, they were often about the sheep and other things of the chalk, and sometimes there'd be a dried flower inside, a harebell or a cowslip. Granny Aching wouldn't have approved of that. She always said that if the hills had wanted people to pick the flowers, they would have grown more of them. The letters always made her homesick. One day Miss Treason had said, This young man who writes to you, is he your beau? And Tiffany had changed the subject until she had time to look up the word in the dictionary, and then more time to stop blushing. Roland was... Well, the thing about Roland was... The main thing about... Well, the point was... He was there. OK. When she'd first really met him, he had been a rather useless, rather stupid lump. But what could you expect? He'd been the prisoner of the Queen of the Elves for a year to start with, fat as butter and half crazy on sugar and despair. Besides, he'd been brought up by a couple of haughty aunts, his father, the Baron, being mostly more interested in horses and dogs. He'd more and less changed since then, more thoughtful, less rowdy, more serious, less stupid. He'd also had to wear glasses, the first ever seen on the chalk. And he had a library, more than a hundred books. Actually, it belonged to the castle, but no one else seemed interested in it. Some of the books were huge and ancient, with wooden covers and huge black letters, and coloured pictures of strange animals and far-off places. There was Wasp Meyer's Book of Unusual Days, Crumbery's Why Things Are Not Otherwise, and all but one volume of the ominous encyclopaedia. Roland had been astonished to find that she could read foreign words, and she'd been careful not to tell him it was all done with the help of what remained of Dr. Bustle. The thing was, the fact was, well, who else had they got? Roland couldn't, just couldn't have friends among the village kids, what with him being the son of the Baron and everything, but Tiffany had the pointy hat now, and that counted for something. The people of the chalk didn't like witches much, but she was Granny Aching's granddaughter, right? No telling what she'd learned from the old girl up at the shepherding hut, and they do say she showed those witches up in the mountains what witching's all about, eh? Remember the lambing last year? She pretty near brought the dead lambs back to life just by looking at them. And she's making, and they've got these hills in their bones. She's all right. She's ours, see? And that was fine, except that she didn't have any old friends any more. Kids back home who'd been friendly were now respectful because of the hat. There was a kind of wall, as if she'd grown up and they hadn't. What could they talk about? She'd been to places they couldn't even imagine. Most of them hadn't even been to two shirts, which was only half a day away. And this didn't worry them at all. They were going to do the jobs their fathers did, or raise children like their mothers did. And that was fine, Tiffany added hurriedly to herself. But they hadn't decided. It was just happening to them, and they didn't notice. It was the same up in the mountains. The only people of her own age she could actually talk to were other witches in training like Anna Grammer and the rest of the girls. It was useless trying to have a real conversation with people in the villages, especially the boys. They just looked down and mumbled and shuffled their feet, like people at home when they had to talk to the Baron. Actually, Roland did that too, and he went red every time she looked at him. Whenever she visited the castle or walked on the hills with him, the air was full of complicated silences, just like it had been with the wintersmith. She read the letter carefully, trying to ignore the grubby, feagle fingerprints all over it. He'd been kind enough to include several spare sheets of paper. She smoothed one out very carefully, stared at the wall for a while, and then began to write. Down in the scullery, 
a room off a kitchen for washing pans and other wet and messy chores. Although Miss Treason had skulls, she did not keep them in the scullery. It would have been quite amusing, though, if she did. Down in the scullery, Horace the Cheese had come out from behind the slop bucket. Now he was in front of the back door. If a cheese ever looked thoughtful, Horace looked thoughtful now. In the tiny village of Two Shirts, the driver of the mail coach was having a bit of a problem. A lot of the mail from the countryside around Two Shirts ended up at the souvenir shop there, which also acted as the post office. Usually the driver just picked up the mailbag, but today there was a difficulty. He frantically turned over the pages of the Book of Post Office Regulations. Miss Tick tapped her foot. This was getting on his nerves. Ah, 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 said the coachman triumphantly. Says here, no animals, birds, dragons, or fish. And which one of them do you think I am? asked Miss Tick icily. Ah, well, right, well, human is a kind of animal, right? I mean, look at monkeys, right? I have no wish to look at monkeys, said Miss Tick. I have seen the sort of things they do. The coachman clearly spotted that this was a road not to go down and turned the pages furiously. Then he beamed. Ah, 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 he said. How much do you weigh, miss? Two ounces, said Miss Tick. Which, by chance, is the maximum weight of a letter that can be sent to the Lanker and near Hinterland area for ten pence? She pointed to the two stamps gummed to her lapel. I have already purchased my stamps. You never weigh two ounces, said the coachman. You're hundred and twenty pounds at least, Miss Tick sighed. She'd wanted to avoid this, but Two Shirts wasn't Dogbend after all. It lived on the highway. It watched the world go past. She reached up and pressed the button that worked her hat. Would you like me to forget you just said that? she asked. Why? said the coachman. There was a pause while Miss Tick stared blankly at him. Then she turned her eyes upward. Excuse me, she said. This is always happening, I'm afraid. It's the duckings, you know. The spring rusts. She reached up and banged the side of the hat. The hidden pointy bit shot up, scattering paper flowers. The coachman's eyes followed it. Oh, he said. And the thing about pointy hats was this. The person under one was definitely a witch or a wizard. Oh, someone who wasn't could probably get a pointy hat and go out wearing it, and they'd be fine, right up until the moment when they met a real pointy hat owner. Wizards and witches don't like impostors. They also don't like being kept waiting. How much do I weigh now, pray? she asked. Two ounces, said the coachman quickly. Miss Tick smiled. Yes, and not one scruple more. A scruple being, of course, a weight of twenty grains or one twenty-fourth of an ounce. I am, in fact, unscrupulous. She waited to see if this extremely teachery joke was going to get a smile, but didn't mind when it didn't. Miss Tick rather liked being smarter than other people. She got on the coach. As the coach climbed up into the mountains, snow started to fall. Miss Tick, who knew that no two snowflakes are alike, didn't pay them any attention. If she had done so, she'd have felt slightly less smart. Tiffany slept. A fire glowed in the bedroom grate. Downstairs, Miss Treason's loom wove its way through the night. Small blue figures crept across the bedroom floor, and by forming a fegal pyramid, reached the top of the little table Tiffany used as a desk. Tiffany turned over in bed and made a little sniffle noise. The feagles froze just for a moment, and then the bedroom door swung gently shut behind them. A blue blur raised a trail of dust on the narrow stairs, across the loom room floor, 
out into the scullery and through a strange cheese-shaped hole in the outside door. From then on it was a trail of disturbed leaves leading deep into the woods where a small fire burned. It lit the faces of a horde of feagles, although it may not have wanted to. The blur stopped and became about six feagles, two of them carrying Tiffany's diary. They laid it down carefully. We're well out of that house, said Big Yan. Did you see them big job skulls? There's a hag you wouldn't want to cross in a hurry. Ach, I see she's got one of the paddly locks again, said Daft Woolly, walking around the diary. Rob, I cannot help thinking that it's no right to read this, said Billy Big Chin, as Rob put his arm into the keyhole. It's personal. She's a hag. What's personal to her is personal to us, said Rob, matter-of-factly, fishing around inside the lock. Besides, she must want someone to read it, cause she wrote things doon. Nay, point in writing stuff doon if he didn't want to dread. It's a sheer waste of pencil. Maybe she wanted to read it herself, said Billy, doubtfully. Oh, aye, why'd she want to do that? said Rob scornfully. She already kens what's in it, and Jeanie wants to know what she's thinking about the Baron's lad. There was a click, and the padlock opened. The assembled Fiegelhood watched carefully. Rob turned the rustling pages and grinned. Ah, she's writ here. All the dear Fiegels had turned up again, he said. This met with general applause. Ah, what a kind girl she is to write that, said Billy Bigchin. Can I see? He read, Oh dear, the Fiegels have turned up again. Ah, he said. Billy Bigchin had come with Jeanie all the way from the Long Lake clan. The clan there was more at home with the reading and writing, and since he was a Gonegal, he was expected to be good at both. The Chalk Hill Fiegels, on the other hand, were more at home with the drinking, stealing, and fighting, and Rob Anybody was good at all three. But he'd learned to read and write because Jeanie had asked him to. He did them with a lot more optimism than accuracy, Billy knew. When he was faced with a long sentence, he tended to work out a few words and then have a great big guess. The art of reading is all about understanding what the words is trying to say, right? said Rob. Aye, maybe, said Big Yan. But is there any word there to tell us that the big wee hag is sweet on that heap of jobbies doon in the stone castle? You have a very romantic nature, said Rob, and the answer is, I canna tell. They write some bits of their letters in them wee codies. That's a terrible thing to do to a reader. It's hard enough reading the normal words without somebody jumbling them all up. It'll be a bad look out for us if the big wee hag starts minding boys instead of getting a knowing of the haggling, said Big Yan. Aye, but the boy will not be interested in marrying, said Slightly Mad Angus. He might be one day, said Billy Big Chin, who'd made a hobby of watching humans. Most big chob men get married. They do, said a feagle in astonishment. Why? They want to get married. A lot of them do, aye, said Billy. So there's nay more drinking, stealing and fighting. Hey, I'm still allowed some drinking and stealing and fighting, said Rob anybody. Aye, Rob, but we canna help noticing you also have to do the explaining too, said Daft Woolly. There was a general nodding from the crowd. To Feagles, explaining was a dark art. It was just so hard. Like, when we come back from drinking, stealing and fighting, Jeanie gives ye the pursing of the lips, Daft Woolly went on. A moan went up from all the Feagles. Oh, save us from the pursing of the lips. And there's the folding of the arms, said Woolly, because he was even scaring himself. Oh, waily, 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 the folding of the arms, the feagles cried, tearing at their hair. Not to mention the tapping of the feets. Woolly stopped, 
not wanting to mention the tapping of the feats. Ah, oh, no, the tapping of the feats. Some of the feagles started to bang their heads on trees. Aye, 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 but, said Rob anybody desperately, what yous dinner ken is that this is part of the hitlins or husbandry. The feagles looked at one another. There was silence except for the creak of a small tree as it fell over. We never heard of any sich thing, Rob, said Big Yan. Well, and I'm no surprised who'd tell you, you ain't married. You didn't get the poetic symmetry or the whole thing. Gather round till I tell you. Rob looked around to see if anyone apart from about five hundred feagles was watching him and went on. See, first you get the drinking and the fighting and the stealing, okay? And when you get back to the mound, it's time for the tapping of the feats. Whoa! And the folding of the arms. Ah! And, of course, the passing of the lips, and will your scanners knock it off with the groaning before it starts banging heads together? Right! All the feagles fell silent, except for one. Oh, waily, waily, waily. Oh, ah, the passing of that. He stopped and looked around in embarrassment. Daft Wally, said Rob anybody, with icy patience. Aye, Rob. You can... I told yous there was times you should listen to what I was saying. Aye, Rob. That was one of them times. Daft Woolly hung his head. Sorry, Rob. Aye. Now, where was I? Oh, aye. We get the lips and the arms and the feet, okay, and then... It's time for the explaining, said Daft Woolly. Aye, snapped Rob anybody. Any one of yous muddlings want to be the one who dares to do the explaining? He looked around. The feagles shuffled backward. With the kelder a-passing and a-folding and a-tapping, Rob went on in a voice of doom, and that look in her bonny eye that says, This explanation had better be really good. Well, do ye? By now, feagles were crying and chewing the edges of their kilts in terror. No, Rob, they murmured. No, I, said Rob anybody triumphantly. Ye wouldna. That's because ye don't have the knowing of the husbandry. I heard Jeannie say you come up with explanations no other feagle in all the world would try, said Daft Woolly admiringly. Aye, that's quite likely, said Rob, swelling with pride. And feagles has got a fine tradition of huge explanations. She said some of your explaining is so long and twisty by the time you've got to the end she cannot recall how they started, Daft Woolly went on. It's a natural gift, I wouldn't want to boast, said Rob waving his hand modestly. "'I can't see big jobs being good at explaining,' said Big Yan. "'They're very slow thinkers.' "'They still get wet, though,' said Billy Big Chin. "'Aye, and yon boy in the big castle is being too friendly with a big wee hag,' said Big Yan. "'His da is getting old and sick, and soon young boy will own a big stone castle and the wee bitty papers that says he owns the hills.' Genie's afeard that if he's got the wee bitty papers that says he owns the hills, Billy Big Chin continued, he might go daft and think they belong to him. And we know where that'll lead, right? Aye, said Big Yan, ploughing. It was a dreaded word. The old baron had once planned to plough a few of the flatter areas of the chalk, because wheat was fetching high prices and there was no money in sheep. But Granny Aching had been alive then and had changed his mind for him. But some pastures around the chalk were being ploughed up already. There was money in wheat. The feagles took it for granted that Roland would take to the plough too. Wasn't he brought up by a couple of vain, scheming, and unpleasant aunts? 
I dinna trust him, said slightly mad Angus. He reads books and such. He doesna care about the land. Aye, said Daft Woolly. But if he was wed to the big wee hag, he'd no think o' the plough, cause the big wee hag would soon gie him the pursing of the arms. It's the folding of the arms, snapped Rob anybody. All the feagles looked around fearfully. Oh, not the folding. Shut up, Rob yelled. I'm ashamed as yes. It's up to the big wee hag to marry who she wants to. Is that not so, Gonagall? Hmm, said Billy, looking upward. He caught a snowflake. I said, the big wee hag can wed who she wants, right? Billy was staring at the snowflake. Billy, said Rob. What? he said, as if waking up. Oh, yes. Do you think she wants to marry the wintersmith? The wintersmith, said Rob. He canna marry anyone. He's like a spirit. There's nothing to him. She danced with him. We saw her, said Billy, catching another flake and inspecting it. Just girlish high spirits. Anyway, why should the big wee hag think anything of the wintersmith? I have reason to believe, said the Gonagall slowly, as more flakes danced down, that the wintersmith is thinking a lot about the big wee hag. Chapter 4 Snowflakes they say that there can never be two snowflakes that are exactly alike. But has anyone checked lately? Snow fell gently in the darkness. It piled up on rooftops. It kissed its way between the branches of trees. It settled on the forest floor with a gentle sizzle and smelled sharply of tin. Granny Weatherwax always checked the snow. She stood at her doorway with the candlelight streaming out around her and caught flakes on the back of a shovel. The white kitten watched the snowflakes. That's all it did. It didn't bat them with a paw, it just watched, very intently. Each flake spiralled down until it landed. Then the kitten would watch it some more, until it was sure the entertainment was over, before it looked up and selected another flake. It was called you, as in, you, stop that, and you, get off there. When it came to names, Granny Weatherwax didn't do fancy. Granny looked at the snowflakes and smiled in her not-exactly-nice way. "'Come back in, you,' she said, and shut the door. Miss Tick was shivering by the fire. It wasn't very big, just big enough. However, there was the smell of bacon and peas pudding coming from a small pot on the embers, and beside the small pot was a much larger one, from which came the smell of chicken. Miss Tick didn't often get chicken, so she lived in hope. It had to be said that Granny Weatherwax and Miss Tick did not get on well with each other. Senior witches often don't. You could tell that they didn't, by the way they were extremely polite all the time. The snow is early this year, Mistress Weatherwax, said Miss Tick. Indeed it is, Miss Tick, said Granny Weatherwax. And so interesting. Have you looked at it? I've seen snow before, Mistress Weatherwax, said Miss Tick. It was snowing all the way up here. I had to help push the mail coach. I saw altogether too much snow. But what are we going to do about Tiffany aching? Nothing, Miss Tick. More tea? She is rather our responsibility. No, she's hers, first and last. She's a witch. She danced the winter dance. I saw her do it. I'm sure she didn't mean to, said Miss Tick. How can you dance and not mean it? She's young. The excitement's probably run away with her feet. She didn't know what was going on. She should have found out said Granny Weatherwax. She should have listened. I'm sure you always did what we were told when you were almost thirteen, Mistress Weatherwax, said Miss Tick, with just a hint of sarcasm. Granny Weatherwax stared at the wall for a moment. No, she said. 
I made mistakes, but I didn't make excuses. I thought you wanted to help the child. I'll help her to help herself. That is my way. She's danced into the oldest story there is, and the only way out is through the other end. The only way, Miss Tick. Miss Tick sighed. Stories, she thought. Granny Weatherwax believes the world is all about stories. Oh, well, we all have our funny little ways. Except me, obviously. Of course. It's just that she's so... normal, Miss Tick said aloud. When you consider what she's done, I mean. And she thinks so much. And now that she's come to the attention of the Wintersmith, well... She fascinates him, said Granny Weatherwax. That's going to be a big problem, which she will have to solve. And if she can't? Then she's not Tiffany Aching, said Granny Weatherwax firmly. Ah, yes, she's in the story now, but she don't know it. Look at the snow, Miss Tick. They say that no two snowflakes are alike. How could they know something like that? Oh, they thinks they're so smart. I've always wanted to catch them out, and I have done. Go outside now and look at the snow. Look at the snow, Miss Tick. Every flake the same. Tiffany heard the knocking and opened the tiny bedroom window with difficulty. Snow had built up on the sill, soft and fluffy. We didn't want to wake you, said Rob anybody, but awfully wee Billy said you ought to see this. Tiffany yawned. What am I looking for? she muttered. Catch some of young flakes, said Rob. No, not on your hand. They'll melt tea soon. In the gloom, Tiffany felt around for her diary. It wasn't there. She looked on the floor in case she'd knocked it off. Then a match flared as Rob anybody lit a candle, and there was the diary, looking as though it had always been there, but, she noticed, also being suspiciously cold to the touch. Rob looked innocent, a sure sign of guilt. Tiffany saved the questions for later and poked the diary out of the window. Flakes settled on it. She lifted it closer to her eyes. They look just like any ordinary... She began and then stopped, and then said, Oh, no, this must be a trick. Aye, well, you could call it that, said Rob, but it's his trick, you can. Tiffany stared at falling flakes drifting in the light of the candle. Every one of them was Tiffany aching, a little, frozen, sparkling Tiffany aching. Downstairs, Miss Treason burst out laughing. The doorknob on the door to the tower bedroom was rattled angrily. Roland de Chum's fanly pronounced chuffly. It wasn't his fault carefully paid it no attention. "'What are you doing in there, child?' said a muffled voice peevishly. "'Nothing, Aunt Anuta,' said Roland, without turning around from his desk. One of the advantages of living in a castle was that rooms were easy to lock. His door had three iron locks and two bolts that were as thick as his arm. "'Your father is calling out, you know,' said another voice, with even more peeve. "'He whispers, Aunt Araminta,' Roland said calmly, carefully writing an address on an envelope. He only cries out when you set the doctors on him. It's for his own good. He cries out, Roland repeated, and then licked the flap on the envelope. Aunt Araminta rattled the doorknob again. You are a very ungrateful child. You will starve, you know. We will get the guards to batter this door down. Roland sighed. The castle had been built by people who did not like to have their doors battered down, and anyone trying to do that here would have to carry the battering ram up a narrow spiral staircase with no room at the top to turn around, and then find a way to knock down a door four planks thick and made of oak timbers so ancient it was like iron. One man could defend this room for months, if he had provisions. He heard some more grumbling noise outside, 
and then the echo of the aunt's shoes as they went down the tower. Then he heard them screaming at the guards again. It wouldn't do them much good. Sergeant Roberts and his guards, Kevin and Neville and Trevor, were edgy about taking orders from the aunts. Everyone knew, though, that if the baron died before the boy was twenty-one, the aunts would legally run the estate until he was. And while the baron was very ill, he was not dead. It was not a happy time to be a disobedient guard, but the sergeant and his men survived the anger of the aunts by being, when their orders justified it, deaf, stupid, forgetful, confused, ill, lost, or, in the case of Kevin, foreign. For now, Roland kept his excursions for the small hours, when no one was around and he could pillage the kitchen. That's when he went in to see his father. The doctors kept the old man dosed with something, but Roland held his hand for a while for the comfort that it gave. If he found jars of wasps or leeches, he threw them into the moat. He stared at the envelope. Perhaps he ought to tell Tiffany about this, but he didn't like to think about it. It would worry her and she might try to rescue him again, and that wouldn't be right. This was something he had to face. Besides, he wasn't locked in. They were locked out. While he held the tower, there was a place where they couldn't poke and pry and steal. He'd got what was left of the silver candlesticks under his bed, along with what remained of the antique silver cutlery. Gone to be valued, they'd said. And his mother's jewel box. He'd been a bit late finding that. It was missing her wedding ring and the silver and garnet necklace his grandmother had left to her. But tomorrow he'd get up early and ride over to two shirts with the letter. He liked writing them. They turned the world into a nicer place, because you didn't have to include the bad bits. Roland sighed. It would have been nice to tell Tiffany that in the library he'd found a book called Sieges and Survival by the famous general Callus Tacticus, who invented tactics, which was interesting. Who'd have thought such an ancient book could be so useful? The general had been very firm about having provisions, so Roland had plenty of small potatoes, large sausages, and heavy dwarf bread, which was handy to drop on people. He glanced across the room, where there was a portrait of his mother that he had carried up from the cellar where they had left it, waiting to be cleaned, they said. Right beside it, if you knew what you were looking for, an area of wall about the size of a small door looked lighter than the rest of the stones. The candlestick next to it looked slightly lopsided, too. There were lots of advantages to living in a castle. Outside, it began to snow. The Knack-Mack Feagles peered out at the fluffy flakes from the thatch of Miss Treason's cottage. By the light that managed to leak out from the grubby windows below, they watched the tiny Tiffany's whirl past. See it with snowflakes, said Big Yan. Ha! Daft Woolly snatched a spiralling flake. You've got to admit, he's done the wee pointy hat really well, he said. He must like the big wee hag a lot. It doesna make any sense, said Rob anybody. He's the winter. He's all the snow and ice and storms and frosts. She's just a wee big girl. You canna say that's an ideal match. What do you say, Billy? Billy. The Gonagall was chewing the end of his mouse pipes while staring at the flakes with a faraway look in his eyes. But somehow Rob's voice broke into his thoughts because he said, What does he ken about people? He's no as alive as a wee insect, yet he's as powerful as the sea. And he's sweet on the big wee hag, why? What can she be to him? What will he do next? I tell you this, Snowflakes is just the beginning. We must watch you, Rob. This may become very bad. Up in the mountains, 
72,007 Tiffany Akings landed lightly on the old packed snow on a ridge and began an avalanche that carried away more than a hundred trees in a hunting lodge. This wasn't Tiffany's fault. It wasn't her fault that people slipped on packed layers of her, or couldn't open the door because she was piled up outside it, or got hit by handfuls of her thrown by small children. Most of her had melted by breakfast time the next day, and besides, no one noticed anything strange except witches, who don't take people's word for things, and a lot of kids no one listened to. Even so, Tiffany woke up feeling very embarrassed. Miss Treason didn't help at all. At least he likes you, she said, while she ferociously wound up her clock. I wouldn't know about that, Miss Treason, said Tiffany, really not wanting this conversation at all. She was washing the dishes at the sink, her back to the old woman, and she was glad that Miss Treason could not see her face, and, if it came to it, that she couldn't see Miss Treason's face either. What will your young man say about it, I wonder? What young man is that, Miss Treason? said Tiffany, as stonily as she could manage. He writes you letters, girl. And I expect you read them with my eyes, Tiffany thought. Roland? He's just a friend. Sort of, she said. A sort of friend? I'm not going into this, Tiffany thought. I bet she's grinning. It's not her business anyway. Yes, she said. That's right, Miss Treason. A sort of friend. There was a long silence which Tiffany used to scrub out the bottom of an iron saucepan. It is important to have friends, said Miss Treason, in a voice that was somehow smaller than it had been. It sounded as though Tiffany had won. When you have finished, dear, please be kind enough to fetch me my shamble bag. Tiffany did so and hurried off into the dairy. It was always good to get in there. It reminded her of home, and she could think better. She... There was a cheese-shaped hole in the bottom of the door, but Horace was back in his broken cage, making a very faint mm, noise that may have been cheese snores. She left him alone and dealt with the morning's milk. At least it wasn't snowing. She felt herself blushing and tried to stop herself from even thinking about it. And there was going to be a coven meeting tonight. Would the other girls know? <laughs> of course they would. Witches paid attention to snow, especially if it was going to be embarrassing for somebody. Tiffany, I wish to speak with you, Miss Treason called out. Miss Treason had hardly ever called her Tiffany before. It was quite worrying to hear her say the name. Miss Treason was holding up a shamble. Her seeing-eye mouse was dangling awkwardly among the bits of bone and ribbon. This is so inconvenient, she said, and raised her voice. Ach, you mudlins, come on out. I ken you're there. I can see you looking at me. Fiegel heads appeared from behind very nearly everything. Good. Tiffany aching, sit down. Tiffany sat down quickly. The time like this, too, said Miss Treason, laying down the shamble. This is so inconvenient, but there is no doubt. She paused for a moment and said, I will die the day after tomorrow, on Friday, just before half past six in the morning. It was an impressive statement, and did not deserve this reply. Oh, that's a shame to be missing the weekend like that, said Rob Anybody. Why are you going somewhere nice? But, but, you can't die, Tiffany burst out. You're a hundred and thirteen years old, Miss Treason. You know, that is very probably the reason, child, said Miss Treason calmly. Didn't anyone tell you that witches have forewarning when they're going to die? Anyway, I like a good funeral. Oh, aye, you cannot beat a good wake, said Rob anybody, with lots of boozing and dancing and greeting and feasting and boozing. 
There may be some sweet sherry, said Miss Treason. As for feasting, I always say you cannot go far wrong with a ham roll. But you can't just— Tiffany began, and stopped as Miss Treason turned her head fast like a chicken does. Leave you like this, she said. Is that what you were going to say? Er, uh, no, Tiffany lied. You'll have to move in with someone else, of course, said Miss Treason. You're not really senior enough to take on a cottage, not when there's older girls waiting. You know I don't want to spend my life in the mountains, Miss Treason, Tiffany said quickly. Oh, yes, Miss Tick did tell me, said the old witch. You want to go back to your little chalk hills. They're not little, Tiffany snapped, louder than she'd meant to. Yes, this has been a bit of a trying time all round said Miss Treason very calmly. I shall write some letters which you will take down to the village, and then you shall have your afternoon off. We shall hold a funeral tomorrow afternoon. Sorry, you mean before you die, said Tiffany. Why, of course. I don't see why I shouldn't have some fun. Good thinking, said Robinybody. That's the kind of sensible detail people usually fail to consider. We call it a going-away party, said Miss Treason. Just for witches, of course. Other people tend to get a bit nervous. I can't think why. And on the bright side, we've got that splendid ham that Mr. Armbinder gave us last week for settling the ownership of the chestnut tree, and I'd love to try it. An hour later, Tiffany set out with her pockets full of notes to butchers and bakers and farmers in the local villages. She was a bit surprised at the reception she got. They seemed to think it was all a joke. "'Miss Treason's not going to go dying at her time of life,' said a butcher, weighing out sausages. "'I heard that death's come for her before, and she slammed the door on him.' Thirteen dozen sausages, please,' said Tiffany, cooked and delivered. "'Are you sure she's going to die?' said the butcher, uncertainty clouding his face. "'No, but she is,' said Tiffany. And the baker said, "'Don't you know about that clock of hers? She had it made when her heart died. It's like a clockwork heart, see?' "'Really?' said Tiffany. So, if her heart died and she had a new one made of clockwork, how did she stay alive while the new heart was being made? Oh, that'd be by magic, obviously, said the baker. But a heart pumps blood, and Miss Treason's clock is outside her body, Tiffany pointed out. There's no tubes. It pumps the blood by magic, said the baker, speaking slowly. He gave her an odd look. How can you be a witch if you don't know this stuff? It was the same everywhere else. It was as if the idea of there being no Miss Treason was the wrong shape to put in anyone's head. She was a hundred and thirteen years old, and they argued that it was practically unheard of for anyone to die aged a hundred and thirteen. It was a joke, they said, or she'd got a scroll signed in blood that meant she'd live forever, or you'd have to steal her clock before she'd die, or every time the Grim Reaper came for her she lied about her name or sent him to another person, or maybe she was just feeling a bit unwell. By the time Tiffany was finished, she was wondering if it really was going to happen. Yet Miss Treason had seemed so certain. And if you were 113, the amazing thing wasn't that you were going to die tomorrow, but that you were still alive today. With her head full of gloomy thoughts, she set out to the coven meeting. Once or twice she thought she could feel Fiegel's watching her. She never knew how she could feel this. It was a talent you learned, and you learned to put up with it most of the time. All the other young witches were there by the time she arrived, and they had even got a fire lit. Some people think that coven is a word for a group of witches, and it's true that's what the dictionary says, 
but the real word for a group of witches is an argument. In any case, most of the witches Tiffany had met never used the word. Mrs. Earwig did, though, almost all the time. She was tall and thin and rather chilly, and wore silver spectacles on a little chain, and used words like avatar and sigil. And Anagramma, who ran the coven because she'd invented it and had the tallest hat and the sharpest voice, was her star pupil, and her only one. Granny Weatherwax always said that what Mrs. Earwig did was wizard magic with a dress on, and Anagramma certainly dragged a lot of books and wands along to the meetings. Mostly, the girls did a few ceremonies to keep her quiet, because for them the real purpose of the coven was to see friends, even if they were friends simply because they were, really, the only people you could talk to freely because they had the same problems and would understand what you were moaning about. They always met out in the woods, even in the snow. There was always enough wood lying around for a fire, and they all dressed up warm as a matter of course. Even in the summer, comfort on a broomstick at any height meant more layers of underclothing than anyone would dare guess at, and sometimes a couple of hot water bottles held on with string. At the moment, three small fireballs circled the fire. Anagramma had made them. You could slay enemies with them, she'd said. They made the others uneasy. It was wizard magic, showy and dangerous. Witches preferred to cut enemies dead with a look. There was no sense in killing your enemy. How would she know you'd won? Dimity Hubbub had brought a huge tray of inside-out cake. It was just the thing to put a coating on your ribs against the cold. Tiffany said, Miss Treason told me she's going to die on Friday morning. She said she just knows. That's a shame, said Anagramma, in a that's-not-really-a-shame tone of voice. She was very old, though. She still is, said Tiffany. Um, it's called the call, said Petulia Gristle. Old witches know when they're going to die. No one knows how it works. They just do. Has she still got those skulls? said Lucy Warbeck, who had her hair piled up on her head with a knife and fork stuck in it. I couldn't stand them. They seemed to be, like, looking at me all the time. It was her using me as a mirror that made me leave, said Lulu Darling. Does she still do that? Tiffany sighed. Yes. I said flatly that I wouldn't go, said Gertruda Tiring, poking the fire. Did you know that if you leave a witch without permission, no other witch will take you on? But if you leave Miss Treason, even after only one night, no one says anything about it, and they just find you another place. Mrs. Earwig says things like skulls and ravens is going far too far, said Anagramma. Everyone around there is literally frightened out of their lives. Um, what's going to happen to you? said Petulia to Tiffany. I don't know. I suppose I'll go somewhere else. Poor you, said Anagramma. Miss Treason didn't say who'll take over the cottage by any chance, she added, as if she'd only just thought of the question. The sound that followed was the silence made by half a dozen pairs of ears listening so hard they were nearly creaking. There were not a lot of young witches coming up, it was true, but witches lived a long time, and getting your own cottage was the prize. That's when you started getting respect. No, said Tiffany. Not even a hint? No. She didn't say it was going to be you, did she? said Anagramma sharply. Her voice could be really annoying. It could make hello sound like an accusation. No, 
Anyway, you're too young. Actually, there's no, you know, actual age limit, said Lucy Warbeck. Nothing written down, anyway. How do you know that? Anagramma snapped. I asked old Mrs. Pumire, said Lucy. Anagramma's eyes narrowed. You asked her why? Lucy rolled her eyes. Because I wanted to know, that's all. Look, everyone knows you're the oldest and the, you know, most trained. Of course you'll get the cottage. Yes, said Anagramma, watching Tiffany. Of course. That's um, sorted out, then, said Petulia, more loudly than necessary. Did you have a lot of snow last night? Old Mother Blackcap said it was unusual. Tiffany thought, oh dear, here we go. We often get it this early up here, said Lucy. I thought it was a bit fluffier than usual, said Petulia. Quite pretty, if you like that sort of thing. It was just snow, said Anagramma. Hey, did any of you hear what happened to the new girl who started with Miss Tumult? Ran away screaming after an hour. She smiled, not very sympathetically. Um, was it the frog? Petulia asked. No, not the frog. She didn't mind the frog. It was unlucky Charlie. He can be scary, Lucy agreed. And that was it, Tiffany realised as the gossip ran on. Someone who was practically a kind of god had made billions of snowflakes that looked like her, and they hadn't noticed. Which was a good thing, obviously. Of course it was. The last thing she wanted was teasing and stupid questions, of course. Well, of course. But, well, it would have been nice if they'd known, if they'd said, wow, if they'd been jealous or frightened or impressed. And she couldn't tell them, or at least she couldn't tell Anagramma, who'd make a joke of it and almost but not exactly say that she was making it up. The wintersmith had visited her and had been impressed. It was a bit sad if the only people who knew about this were Miss Treason and hundreds of feagles, especially since, she shuddered, by Friday morning it would only be known by hundreds of little blue men. To put it another way, if she didn't tell someone else who was at least the same size as her and alive, she would burst. So she told Petulia on the way home. They had to go the same way, and they both flew so slowly that at night it was easier to walk since you didn't hit so many trees. Petulia was plump and reliable and already the best pig witch in the mountains, a fact that means a lot where every family owns a pig, and Miss Treason had said that soon the boys would be running after her because a girl who knows her pigs would never want for a husband. The only problem with Petulia was that she always agreed with you and always said what she thought you wanted to hear. But Tiffany was a bit cruel and just told her all the facts. She got a few wows, which she was pleased with. After a while, Petulia said, That must have been very, um, interesting. And that was Petulia for you. What shall I do? Um, do you need to do anything? said Petulia. Well, sooner or later, people are going to notice that all snowflakes are shaped like me. Um, are you worried that they won't? said Petulia, so innocently that Tiffany laughed. But I've got this feeling that it's not going to stop with snowflakes. I mean... He is everything to do with wintertime. And he ran away when you screamed, said Petulia thoughtfully. That's right. And then he did something sort of silly. What? The snowflakes, said Petulia helpfully. Well, I wouldn't say that exactly, said Tiffany, a bit hurt. Not exactly silly. Then it's all obvious, said Petulia. He's a boy. What? A boy. You know what they are, said Petulia. Blush, grunt, mumble, wibble. They're pretty much all the same. But 
He's millions of years old, and he acts like he's never seen a girl before. Um, I don't know. Has he ever seen a girl before? He must have. What about Summer? said Tiffany. She's a girl. Well, a woman. According to a book I've seen, anyway. I suppose all you can do is wait to see what he does next, then. Sorry. I've never had snowflakes made in my honour. Uh, we're here. They'd reached the clearing where Miss Treason lived, and Petulia began to look a bit nervous. Um, all these stories about her, she said, looking at the cottage. Are you all right there? Was one of them about what she can do with her thumbnail? asked Tiffany. Yes, said Petulia, shuddering. She made that one up. Don't tell anyone, though. Why would anyone make up a story like that about themselves? Tiffany hesitated. Pigs couldn't be fooled by Boffo, so Petulia hadn't run across it. And she was amazingly honest, which Tiffany was coming to learn was a bit of a drawback in a witch. It wasn't that witches were actually dishonest, but they were careful about what kind of truth they told. I don't know, she lied. Anyway, you have to cut through quite a lot of a person before anything falls out, and skin is quite tough. I don't think it's possible. Petulia looked alarmed. You tried? I practised with my thumbnail on a big ham this morning, if that's what you mean, said Tiffany. You have to check things, she thought. I heard the story that Miss Treason has wolf's teeth, and people tell that to one another, even though they've seen her. Um, I'll come and help tomorrow, of course, said Petulia, nervously looking at Tiffany's hands, in case there were going to be any more thumbnail experiments. Going away partners can be quite jolly, really, but, um, if I was you, I'd tell Mr. Wintersmith to go away. That's what I did when Davy Lummock started getting, um, too romantic, and I told him that I was, um, walking out with Mackie Weaver. Don't tell the others. Isn't he the one who talks about pigs all the time? Well, pigs are very interesting, said Petulia reproachfully, and his father, um, um, has got the biggest pig-breeding farm in the mountains. That's something worth thinking about, definitely, said Tiffany. Ouch! What happened? said Petulia. Oh, nothing. My hand really twinged there for a moment. Tiffany rubbed it. Part of the healing, I suppose. See you tomorrow. Tiffany went indoors. Petulia carried on through the forest. From up near the roof came the sounds of a conversation. Did you hear what the fat girl said? Aye, but pigs are not that interesting. Oh, I dinna can about that. Very useful animal is the pig. You can eat every part of it you can, except for the squeal. Ah, you're wrong there. You can use the squeal. Dinna be daft. Aye, you can so. You make up a pie crust, right, and you put in a lot of ham, right, and then you catch the squeal, put the top on the pie before he can escape, right, and bung it straight in the oven. I ne'er heard of such a thing as that. Have you no? It's called a squealin' ham pie. There's no such thing. Why not? There's bubble and squeak, right, and a squeak is wee compared to a squeal. I reckon you could... If yous muddlings dinna listen, I'll put you in a pie, yelled Rob anybody. The feagles muttered into silence. And on the other side of the clearing, the wintersmith watched with purple-grey eyes. He watched until a candle was lit in an upstairs room and watched the orange glow until it went out. Then, walking unsteadily on new legs, he went toward the flower patch where, in the summer, roses had grown. If you went to Zack Zack Strong in the Arms Magical Emporium, you'd see crystal balls of all sizes, but more or less only one price, which was a great deal of money. Since most witches, and particularly the good ones, had not much money at all, they made use of other things, like the glass floats off old fishing nets or a saucer of black ink.
There was a puddle of black ink on Granny Weatherwax's table now. It had been in the saucer, but things had wobbled a bit when Granny and Miss Tick had banged their heads together, trying to look in the saucer at the same time. Did you hear that? said Granny Weatherwax. Petulia Gristle asked the important question, and she didn't just think about it. I'm sorry to say I missed it too, said Miss Tick. You, the white kitten, jumped up onto the table, walked carefully through the puddle of ink, and dropped into Miss Tick's lap. Stop that, you, said Granny Weatherwax in a vague sort of way, as Miss Tick stared down at her dress. It hardly shows up, said Miss Tick, but in fact four perfect cat footprints were very clear. Witches' dresses start out black, but soon fade to shades of grey because of frequent washings or, in the case of Miss Tick, regular dips in various ponds and streams. They got threadbare and ragged, too, and their owners liked that. It showed you were a working witch, not a witch for show. Four black kitten footprints in the middle of your dress suggested you were a bit wussy, though. She lowered the cat to the floor, where it trotted over to Granny Weatherwax, rubbed up against her, and tried to meep more chicken into existence. What was the important thing? said Miss Tick. I'm asking you as one witch to another, Perspicacia Tick. Has the Wintersmith ever met a girl? Well, said Miss Tick, I suppose the classic representation of summer might be called a... But do they ever meet? asked Granny Weatherwax. In the dance, I suppose. Just for a moment, said Miss Tick. And at that moment, that very moment, in dances Tiffany aching, said Granny Weatherwax. A witch who won't wear black. No, it's blue and green for her, like green grass under a blue sky. She calls to the strength of her hills all the time. And they calls to her. Hills that was once alive, Miss Tick. They feels the rhythm of the dance. And so in her bones does she, if she did but know it. And this shapes her life even here. She could not help but tap her feet. The land taps its feet to the dance of the seasons. But she, Miss Tick began, because no teacher likes to hear anyone else talk for very long. What happened in that moment? Granny Weatherwax went on unstoppably. Summer, winter, and Tiffany. One spinning moment, and then they part. Who knows what got tangled? Suddenly, the wintersmith is acting so stupid he might even be a wee bit human. What has she got herself into? said Miss Tick. The dance, Miss Tick. The dance that never ends. And she can't change the steps, not yet. She has to dance to his tune for a while. She's going to be in a lot of danger, Miss Tick said. She has the strength of her hills, said Granny. Soft hills, though, said Miss Tick, easily worn down. But the heart of the chalk is flint, remember? It cuts sharper than any knife. Snow can cover the hills, said Miss Tick. Not forever. It did once, said Miss Tick, fed up with playing games. For thousands of years at least, an age of ice. Great beasts wallowed and sneezed across the world. That's as may be, said Granny Weatherwax, a glint in her eye. Of course. I wasn't around then. In the meantime, we must watch our girl. Miss Tick sipped her tea. Staying with Granny Weatherwax was a bit of a trial. Last night's pot of chicken scraps had turned out to be not for her, but for you. The witches had good thick peas pudding and bacon soup without, and this was important, the bacon. Granny kept a big lump of fat bacon on a string and had taken it out, carefully dried it, and put it away for another day. Despite her hunger, Miss Tick was impressed. Granny could shave the skin off a second. I hear that Miss Treason has heard her call, she said. Yes, funeral tomorrow, said Granny Weatherwax. That's a difficult steading over there, said Miss Tick. They've had Miss Treason for a long, long time. It'll be a tricky task, 
for a new witch? She'll be a difficult act to follow, indeed, said Granny Weatherwax. Act? said Miss Tick. I meant life, of course, said Granny Weatherwax. Whom will you put in there? asked Miss Tick, because she liked to be first with the news. She also made a point of saying whom whenever she could. She felt it was more literate. Miss Tick, that is not up to me, said Granny sharply. We have no leaders in witchcraft, you know that. Oh, indeed, said Miss Tick, who also knew that the leader the witches did not have was Granny Weatherwax. But I know that Mrs. Earwig will be proposing young anagramma, and Mrs. Earwig has quite a few followers these days. It's probably those books she writes. She makes witchcraft sound exciting. You know I don't like witches who try to impose their will on others, said Granny Weatherwax. Quite, said Miss Tick, trying not to laugh. I shall, however, drop a name into the conversation, said Granny Weatherwax. With a clang, I expect, thought Miss Tick. Peculiar Gristle has shaped up very well, she said. A good all-round witch. Yes, but mostly all-round pigs, said Granny Weatherwax. I was thinking about Tiffany aching. What? said Miss Tick. Don't you think that child has enough to cope with? Granny Weatherwax smiled briefly. Well, Miss Tick, you know what they say. If you want something done, give it to someone who's busy. And young Tiffany might be very busy soon, she added. Why do you say that? said Miss Tick. Hmm. Well, I can't be sure, but I'll be very interested to see what happens to her feet.